This episode is sponsored by Peak Sales Recruiting. If you need to make a critical hire and you're tired of digging through bad resumes that don't cut it, then visit peaksalesrecruiting.com slash Ian to learn more. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, we're joined by a repeat guest, my dear friend, Neen James. We're going to talk about her latest book, Attention Pays, and we're going to talk about the biggest misconception when it comes to attention, how to deal with people who want to have their cell phones out in meetings, and talk about the different aspects of attention based on which generation you're in. It's really fascinating stuff, and it's always a pleasure having Neen on the show. So tune in now for Neen James. The wonderfully talented Neen James, welcome back to the show. What a treat, g'day. And to be a repeat guest, I know that's, I'm so honored. I've been in the company of rock stars who've been on your show. You know what? It's um, it's it's a rare thing, and and we could have you on every week because you're just so cool. You don't need air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> I got to tell you, honey, that is a line. I have never had someone give me that line. That, like, seriously, line of the day. That's amazing. You know what? It has no effect on my wife whatsoever. So (laughs) Deborah doesn't fall for that. She's going to lie. She's like, ah, I've been there, done that. (laughs) So um, before we dive in, can you share something surprising that our audience may not know about you? Hmm, something surprising. In my house, I have a fridge that is dedicated to champagne. How about that? You know, that's a great thing. And you and I have had the good fortune to to be forced to share bottles of champagne before. And it's something that's always a treat. (laughs) It is a treat. I love sharing champagne with you, especially that new one you exposed me to. I'd never heard of last time we were together. I love discovering new champagne. For those wondering, it's the 2008 Delis Pierre and I don't think you can buy it anywhere anymore. So it's almost like a tease to say, hey, you should get this, but not so much. But I know that uh, Jim Schlexer, who's been on the show and listens, he, he has the Dallas Pier also in his cellar. So it's all wow, good. that's a big sign if he has it. My gosh. Now, now you and I could do an entire episode on champagne, not even necessarily the art of champagne, but just enjoying champagne with others. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Back to business. So your book, Attention Pays, it's all about attention. So what's the greatest misconception that businesses have about attention? We think we're paying attention, but we're not. Because think about this, Ian. We get told as kids, pay attention. Our teachers told us to pay attention. Our parents tell us to pay attention. We even tell our kids to pay attention. And in business, we think we're paying attention, but we're not. We're paying attention, but we're paying attention to the wrong things. And I think to make attention pay, it has to be to the right people, the right things, the right way. So give me an example of the wrong things that people pay attention to. I think we are living in what I call an attention deficit society. Now, not ADD. I'm talking about something very different to that. ADD is obviously medically diagnosed. But we're living in an attention deficit society where we are constantly overwhelmed. We're overstressed. We're overtired. It's what I call the over-trilogy in the book. And these distractions are causing us to pay attention to the wrong things. So it could be uh, our devices. It might be social media. It might be uh, the wrong marketing strategies. It might be the right numbers and metrics. It might be the 
underperforming team member and we forget to focus on the high performing team member. I think we're paying attention to the wrong things and we're wasting our attention and our attention's being stolen by technology, stolen by interruptions. And so what effect does that have on a business? So, I mean, I get it. People are, they're focused on social media. We see it all the time where someone's in a meeting, someone's at a dinner and you look and there's someone on their mobile device and they may be interacting with somebody. It's just someone who isn't actually physically there. They're somewhere else. So what is the effect on business in terms of clients, employees, and the like? Technology is not the enemy of attention. We are the enemy of our attention, right? And so it's our choices that we're making. And so what's happening is when businesses don't pay attention, their customers leave. When businesses don't pay attention, they don't have the opportunity to increase the add-on sale because what's happening is they're not keeping that customer or that client top of mind. When businesses don't pay attention, according to the Information Overload Group, in $588 billion is lost in U.S. business every day because we're not paying attention. I mean, it's it's affecting profits. It's also not allowing you to attract and retain the top talent. So businesses who pay attention, they see an increased loyalty from their customers. They see an increased loyalty from their team. They can attract and retain that top talent. They see better deals from their vendors because when they pay attention, attention pays. So take me deeper on that retention and recruitment side. What do you mean? Well, think about the talent that you have in your business right now. We have these people that work with us. And when these people that work with us feel like as a leader, you're paying the attention they need, that you are taking care of them, that you're listening to them, you're developing them, they feel more loyal to you and therefore they want to be able to provide a better level of service to the clients that you serve. So when we have the talent, we want to retain that top talent by showing them that we care about them. It could be investing in them. It could be a one-on-one meeting with them regularly. It might be financially rewarding them. It might be about knowing more about who they are and and noticing the work that they deliver. So when we have the talent, we want to be able to retain it. But we also, Ian, need to be able to attract it. And to attract top talent now in such a competitive workplace, we need to be the brand that people want to work for, meaning we need an environment where people want to come to work, where they are proud to be part of it. And different generations need different things. If you think about Gen Y or the millennial generation, they want a workplace that also has not only the opportunity for them to creatively contribute and share their ideas, but they're looking at brands that are more altruistic, that are globally responsible, that really take issues seriously and have causes they believe in. The old way of doing business just the same becomes very irrelevant and then you're not current and then you're not going to attract that top talent. And so what people are looking for now with so many choices of places they can work in, they want to align themselves with a place they feel proud to be part of, that they can tell people that they're employed by this business. Businesses need to pay very close attention to their attraction strategies. How are they recruiting the talent? And then once they get the talent, how are they onboarding that talent? And then how do they retain that talent? Let's take this back a a half a step, which is If you're an organization that isn't paying attention, if you're an organization who is not doing this, what are some of the symptoms? What does it look like? What's the experience for the employee? What's the experience for the customer? My guess is there are people listening saying, yeah, yeah, we pay attention to our clients. And my guess is there's not a single organization who would acknowledge, 
oh, yeah, we have a problem in this area because everybody thinks we do this really well. So what are some of the behaviors that businesses might exhibit, that employees might exhibit that would tell you, hey, you need to take a closer look at this? Well, think about your expertise of selling, Ian, right? So you have this amazing philosophy of what what you've called same-side selling in your book, where you're getting beside the customer, where you're being able to negotiate deals that are really profitable for both of you as well as the people they serve, right? And so I think what's happening, some of the behaviors when we're not paying attention to our customers is that these customers don't increase their average sale with us. They don't come back. They don't renew their contracts. They don't tell other people about us. They don't don't share success stories about us and they don't advocate for us. And so when we don't pay attention to the customers we have, who they can be our marketing strategy, they can be our biggest supporters, they can really provide like free advertising even when we pay attention to them. So when we don't pay attention to our customers, the worst thing is they leave. I guess the next worst thing that happens is they don't want to continue to do business with us. So they might tolerate the particular products and services until they can find something better. They also don't tell anyone about their experience with us because they don't feel like we're special. See, I think what happens sometimes is businesses pay what I call transactional attention, not intentional attention. Transactions is you take their money, you do what you need to do at a minimum, but you're not being intentional and choosing to make that customer feel like they are the most important person in your business. I'm glad you shared that because then what happens is the people who are saying, no, no, we don't have this problem say, yeah, I do have a problem with with retention. I do have a problem with getting repeat and referral business. And so now it helps them kind of understand that, wow, maybe I do have a challenge here. And especially when it comes to attracting talent, there are times where my clients are hiring and they'll, they'll meet somebody who's a great candidate, and then I'll ask them, so what's going on with that candidate? Oh, I've been busy. It's been like a week and a half. Mm-hmm. I really need to get back to them. And I think to myself, do you really think that that person is now going to move from their existing company when you're in the courtship stage right. and you're not even calling them back? Right. And think about it. When when people when we're interviewing people to come and work in our business, those people are interviewing us to see whether they want to work in our business. It's not about us doing them a big favor. It's about them interviewing you and you give away so much by the way that you speak on the phone, the way you interview them, whether you're running late, whether you acknowledge them, whether you use your name, their name, whether you really have done your due diligence and whether you know that individual when they come into that interview, whether you care to ask the right questions, they're going to tap into not just their experience, but their expertise and what experience do they want from your business or your firm. And so I think we have to, as employers, we have to think about what are, what can we do to make that whole experience more, uh, more special, more beneficial, more thoughtful. And that might also include giving them a tour of the building, letting them see other team members, see what they wear, how they feel, getting them exposed to other team members before they make a decision so that they could see the kind of people they'd be working with the kind of clients they'd be serving, allow that potential person to even talk to some clients and say, what, what, what's your experience of this company? And let them really have a full immersion before they make that final decision. You know, one of my clients is Comcast, and I did a great project with Comcast Spotlight, Ian, which is the advertising sales division. And the brilliant team out in Seattle, we built this onboarding process for any new team members. It was so comprehensive so that when 
when someone came on board, someone was taking them to lunch. They had, they knew what kind of coffee order they wanted. There was something on their desk. There were meetings scheduled. There were videos for them to watch. They got uh, basically a booklet of every person with a photo on what they did and what they were interested in. They got to meet the senior leadership team. They got to talk to a client. We had them out in the field. And this onboarding program was all of these attention points. So any new team member felt instantly part of the team from day one. Their computer was set up. They had their sign on ready. The photo was ready for their badge and security. All these tiny little things in that we need to pay attention to to welcome someone into our business. But in the same way, we have to think about the same experience for our customers. How do we welcome our customers into our business instead of just taking their money and opening an account for them and going, okay, great. Now you're doing business with us. I love it. And it's just all those little details about attention. And I've just been taking copious notes. All those little details are really what I can see would make a profound difference for somebody saying, wow, I've totally made the right choice in coming to work at this place. You know, this is a, this is a place I want to be at. And they probably go home and tell their spouse or significant other or parents, wherever it is. Wow. I love my job. I love where I'm working, which in turn leads to other people wanting to go to work at that same place. When I was working, I worked for this most amazing woman. Her name was Barbara Woodward. She was true to this day. She's still one of my favorite bosses, one of the toughest bosses I ever had, by the way. But this boss, her name was Barbara. And on my first day working with her, uh, she had flowers on my desk, a coffee order for me. She'd had a nameplate way back in my banking days. She had a a nameplate made for me and she'd had business cards created. So when I got to my desk, not only could I get into the system because she'd set up my um, sign in and my password. But I instantly felt all this amazing attention, this care that this woman took to make sure that my very first day, I was blown away by the fact that somehow she'd found out what my coffee order was. And I think that it doesn't take a lot of effort. It doesn't take a lot of time or a lot of money to show someone you care. And in the book, we talk about being thoughtful as business owners, as leaders in companies. What are the little things we can do? And it could be as simple, Ian, as using someone's name. Using people's names is an attention-grabbing strategy. We all love the sound of our own name. If making a bad sales hire isn't an option and you're tired of sorting through resumes from unqualified applicants, then speak with the folks at Peak Sales Recruiting. They're not like generic recruiters. They find the right talent you need to drive sales in your unique environment. Your only challenge will be deciding which candidate to hire because you'll probably want to hire them all. Visit peaksalesrecruiting.com slash Ian to learn more. So let me ask you, because I know that in the book you lay out a framework for attention. You make it so that, and Neen is the queen of this, of taking concepts that we might otherwise struggle to implement and putting them into a framework or a system that you can actually implement and apply in your world right away. So what's the framework that people can learn from to provide better attention for their employees and their customers? You know, as someone who's grown up in corporate business, and I worked in retail, banking, telecommunications, and the oil industry, and a lot of chicks in oil, as you can imagine. And so I understand whether it's running a big corporation and leading a large team 
or whether it's as an entrepreneur having run my own company for 15 years, that we need to be able to do what I call systemized thoughtfulness. We need to systemize things to ensure that the people that we serve get the best experience. When I was doing my research for the book Attention Pays, I interviewed hundreds of CEOs, hundreds of team members. We did so many kind of research pieces to understand and where it came down to was this. We pay attention three ways. The attention pays framework is this, that we need to think about how we pay attention personally, which is about being thoughtful. It's about who deserves our attention. Secondly, it's about paying attention professionally. That's about being productive. It's about what deserves your attention. And thirdly, it's about globally. How are you paying attention in the world and being responsible, whether it's in your community and how you contribute or whether it's the planet in which we serve? So when you think about it, it's personally, professionally and globally. Who, what and how are you investing your attention? So that's the general framework. So walk me through certain like what are some of the things I know that you I know that you write about these what are some of the ways that if let's say uh, you know in our audience we have a lot of CEOs and senior executives and this applies candidly even for coworkers what are some of the little touches or things that you can do to connect with somebody personally that's just going to that's going to give them that greater sense of attention and, and obviously you mentioned the first one of Recognize them by name, so it's not just a head nod, but it's, oh, good morning, Neen. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think definitely using people's names. I think that's definitely a strategy. But as a CEO, you have such a major influence on the results of others. And I think one of the things that you can do to truly be more thoughtful as a CEO is not just knowing their names, but share the results. Don't be concerned about over communicating where we're at as a business and sharing what our goals are and what we're working towards and what's your vision. As the CEO, you have a massive impact on creating what I call an intentional attention culture. It starts with you as a CEO. So by regularly providing opportunities to connect with your individual team members and also as a group, so have all hands meeting, have uh, a town hall, whatever you want to call it, but share regularly and do it in a way that the team understands what they do every day impacts the business. So be very thoughtful about sharing and communicating. What are we working on? What is your vision? What are the results? And let us hear the success stories and let us hear when maybe there's some challenges, you might need some ideas and suggestions on how to enhance them. But as a CEO, when you can be really thoughtful about who deserves your attention and making choices about sharing the ways that people can help you contribute to the goals and success of the business, that means the world to people. So let me ask you this, because I know one of the things I hear from people all the time is, gee, I've got these I've got these younger employees on my team and they're constantly on their phones. And you mentioned before that technology is not the enemy of attention. So what advice do you have for people in terms of in their business? If they have employees who live on their phone, they walk into a meeting, they put their phone in front of them. What advice do you have for them to make sure that everyone's giving everybody the proper attention? 
In our book, we talk about the generational attention. And so different generations have a different understanding of attention. One's not better than the other. They're just different. If you think about our veterans generation and some of the CEOs that are listening to this might fall into this generation, and they really enjoy face-to-face interactions and meetings and lunches, and they love that one-on-one time that they can have with people. And then you look at baby boomers, Ian, and they love group meetings and group texts and group emails, and they do everything very much by team. And they create those environments. They CC everyone on an email, right? So they look at attention differently and they often do it as a group. And then you look at Gen X, which is where I fall in. And we just want a very simple email and just let me do my work and leave me alone, right? And so if you make me go to a meeting, I just want to know what's on the agenda that affects me so I can go home and do something else, right? So Gen Xs are very independent and they just want to understand what do you need from me? I'll get it done and then don't look over my shoulder. But then Gen Y, often called millennials, nexters, MTV. TV generation. There's a thousand things we call them. What I love about this generation is they are so tech savvy. They've grown up with the internet. They've grown up with that instant information. They look at the world differently. They're very creative. What we need to be able to do is leverage the best of the millennials and we need to leverage the best of every generational style. Now, what that means is as a CEO, if you're, if you're older, you want to think about how can you role model different ways to pay attention and teach them that, but how can you learn from your millennials on the way that they can achieve things in a different and more creative way? So one of the things we do, one of my radio station clients in Philadelphia, what we did was to help everyone engage in a meeting, we had a basket outside the conference room. As you walked into the meeting, you dropped your cell phone in the basket. When you left the meeting, you picked your cell phone up. So an easy way, if you want to have device management strategies, is eliminate devices. One of my clients, one of the hospitals that I work with, a very major hospital, we have device-free meetings when we're doing brainstorming and strategy sessions. So we put everything away and we get back to post-it notes and flip charts and markers rather than technology. So what you can do is declare the agenda for the meeting and then let people understand why you're doing it that way. Uh, So Devices can be really powerful when used well. If you want to engage your millennials and they're on their devices, give them things to do in the meeting. So, for example, if you're looking at what your competitors are doing, ask one of the millennials to find out the competitor information while you're in the meeting. Give them a task so that they feel like they're contributing to the meeting. Then I want you to also think about what other ways could you use devices for research, for feedback, for surveys, for interaction, Devices are not the enemy. It's our choice of where we pay our attention. And so what we want to do is we want to role model. I think what happens, Ian, is if someone is not interesting to us, we grab to our phones by default, right? We do it in our personal (laughs) lives. We do it professionally. If someone's not engaging or you're not interested, then even even if you're watching television, you're like, well, this is not very interesting. And so then you go on your laptop or your iPad or your cell phone. If you are in driving the car, I've been guilty of this. If Andy's driving, that's my love, and uh, we're not talking, I might grab my cell phone instead of enjoying the beautiful view. We do this out of habit. We need to break these crazy habits. It's funny you mentioned that about um, if people, if you lose someone's attention, they go to their phone. Oftentimes when I'm speaking at an event, people will say, and we're going to tell everybody to turn off their cell phones. And my response is always the same. I say, you don't have to do that. Yeah, and, and and what I'll often say to the audience is like if, if sometimes someone will say, "Oh, and make sure to make sure to turn off your cell phones," I say, "Look, you can leave your cell phones on because if what I'm saying is not engaging to you and you'd rather do something else, 
I totally get that. I don't think that's going to happen. And you oh, know, yeah. usually, usually yeah. it's a laugh. And, and it's something where it's like, hey, look, if, if the way you capture notes is on your cell phone, that's fantastic. If you want to take a picture and post it, that's fantastic. If I'm so boring to you that you don't want to pay attention and you want to do something else, it's your time. Go for it. Um, just so don't you, distract anyone yeah. near you. Exactly. So here's the thing. I actually leverage technology in my in my presentations. My my thought is if I'm not interesting, then go ahead and clear your email. Like that's that's the responsibility is on me to be the engaging presenter. But what I will often say is feel free to tweet along, take photos, share learnings, don't be selfish, make sure you share this with other people. So sometimes if I make a really cool statement or I say something that I think's remotely funny, and by the way, I'm like not funny. So when I say something that I think is cool, I'll be like, oh, that's tweetable. And people always laugh. And then, you know, so you've got to you've got to understand that just because someone's on their cell phone doesn't mean they're not paying attention to your point earlier. Maybe they're writing notes. Maybe that's the way that they write notes. What we want to think about is that our responsibility is to be so engaging is to add such value, to be so relevant, to be really current, that people want to give us their attention, not that they have to give us their attention. There are so many great lessons that you have in attention pays, and it's just it's so well thought out and well written. What can businesses use immediately? What are the things that if you said, look, here are the first one or two things that you should really do if you want to embrace this idea of attention pays and how it's going to benefit your organization? I say this all the time and you can't manage time. Time's going to happen whether you like it or not. You and I, we get the same 1,440 minutes in a day. And we talked about this on your last podcast. What I would encourage people to do is to realize you can't manage time, but you can manage your attention. What I'd like every executive to do who's listening to this, and whether you are a leader or not, I want you to invest 15 minutes of your attention every day in a strategic appointment with yourself. And in that 15 minutes, I want you to identify your top three not negotiable activities. So before your head hits the pillow tonight, What's the three things you must achieve? Because they will then direct your attention throughout the day. And what I do, Ian, it's pretty fancy. I write those three things on a post-it note. And I know that sounds crazy. And I've tried every app and planner and system in the world. But the reason I write it on a post-it note is I can carry that post-it note with me all day, every meeting, everywhere I go. And I use it as a decision filtering system. So when I'm trying to think about how am I going to get closer to those goals, if I meet even tempted to get distracted and go play on Facebook or to look on Twitter and see what's happening in the world, I have to get back to that post-it note so that I can get those things completed. We have a responsibility as leaders for ROA, return on attention. We've got to start with us. We've got to role model it so our team members see us doing the most important activities first. I love that ROA return attention. And by the way, I will tell you that the last time you were on the show, and I encourage people to listen to that episode also, you mentioned this idea of writing three things on a post-it note. And I will tell you that I thought to myself, wow, that's a good idea. You know, I'll just throw it on my calendar. I'll do this. I'll do that. And it wasn't until I started writing it on a post-it note. And I'm sure the people at 3M are thrilled. Um, (laughs) It wasn't until I started writing on a post-it note that, that all of a sudden now it's like, you know, that's just that's just the way I roll. And and I don't do it every single day, but every single day I do it, I get a lot more stuff done. Yeah. And so you would think if I was smarter, I would do this every day. 
here's what's so cool is that you are doing it. And so what I want our listeners to think about is when it comes to paying attention, it's the little things that make the biggest impact. That tiny little post-it note, if that is what will drive your behavior because it's visual. And I bet that there's listeners here that, I wonder if they'd be willing to admit to you, that they actually write things on to-do lists just so they can cross them up. So at the end of the day, you want to feel like you did something of value. So we write these things on a list just so we can cross them off. And there's a psychology to that, right? The brain craves completion. Every time you ask your brain to do something, it's like opening a new tab on your computer. And this, your brain is craving that completion because every time you cross something off, physically cross it off, you get like this fabulous like shot of dopamine, which is like a little high five for your brain. It's like, woohoo, yeah, you, you just got something done. And so there's a lot of reasons why the post-it note works. And I think at the core, it's the simplicity of paying attention to the little things that make a big impact. Absolutely brilliant. So we will have a link in the show notes to where you can get attention pays. But what's the best way for people to connect with you, Neen, and to learn more about all the fascinating, brilliant, amazing things that you're doing? There is only one Neen James, so you will find me very easily online, neenjames.com, Neen James on Twitter. There is but one Neen James. Exactly. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the definition of unique. So it is always a treat and a pleasure to spend time with you, and thank you for sharing your brilliant wisdom on why and how attention pays. Thank you. And thank you for everything you do in the world. I love how you are helping businesses truly sell in such an ethical and honest and amazing way. Thank you, Neen. Always a pleasure. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply right away. First, this idea of we think we're paying attention, but we're not, and technology is not the enemy of attention. Remember Neen's framework for attention, to connect personally, professionally, and globally to make sure your clients know that you're paying attention to them and your employees do also. And when we provide attention, when we give people the attention they deserve and, and yearn for, it leads to repeat and referral business, and it also helps with our retention. And finally, when we have different generations in a meeting, recognize they each yearn for different types of attention, and we want to cater the way we communicate to those different levels. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should include or a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer. <laughs>